This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. All right. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming out today. Um, I'm Stephanie Andrews. I am the director of product at Co-Host and Quill. Quill is our uh, podcast agency that works with Fortune 500 brands, and Co-Host is our hosting, analytics, and growth product. Uh, really excited to get started today with translating your podcast analytics to grow your audience panel. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite topics in the industry is data and analytics, and today we're going to be talking about what metrics you need to be tracking and what the future of this industry needs to look like. So to get started and introduce our panel, um, we have Tom Webster, the partner of Sounds Profitable. We have Sharon Taylor, the SVP of uh, strategy and product operations at Triton Digital. We have Fatima Zaidi, the CEO of Quill, and moderated by Corey Kalisa, the CRO at Veritonic. Lastly, this is uh, we have a prize at the end of this panel, so please stick around. Um, Heel Sound has um, donated a microphone, so we will uh, get we will get the winner at the end of the panel. So, without further ado, go ahead. Hi, everyone. Can you all hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, before we get started, I, I would love just a show of hands in the audience. Um, how many of you are creators directly yourselves? More than half, it looks like, yeah. And then not a mutually exclusive question, how many of you um, are in a seat where you're using data to try and figure out how to grow an audience? Nice, okay. So we're all in the right room, that's awesome. Um, I'm super happy to be here today. Um, as mentioned, I'm from Veritonic, um, live and breathe data and analytics, and with a, just a phenomenal panel here of, of experts that have been doing this for a very, very long time. So excited to jump in with you all. First question, and this is to, to each of you. Um, what is good podcast data? What does that, that phrase mean to you? What is good podcast data and where are their white spaces? Where, where can we do better? For me, I always think of good podcast data as, I am Australian, so it's data, not data, and I'll fight you all later <laughs> on that. Um, but for me, good podcast data is whatever you need to grow your show and what it is that you're looking for. Like people get hung up on downloads. Maybe downloads is not the thing that you need to monitor. Maybe you are a niche podcast and you've got 200 super engaged listeners. Maybe that's what you should be looking at. Like it depends on your goal as opposed to just competing with the person next to you who's doing a totally different thing in podcasting, which I think we forget. Um, there's table stakes in the downloads, uh, like obviously that you can get from your hosting company, which we can go into in a bit more detail, but that's where I'd start. Like, what are you wanting to achieve and then peel it back from there? You know, I'll be the first to admit that I think brand awareness and engagement is a tenuous kind of ROI that doesn't always necessarily translate to bottom line and revenue. And I think the white spaces in our industry is how do you measure intangible concepts like ROI um, for podcasting and brand awareness. I think one of the challenges in the industry is that we aren't putting enough of an emphasis on engagement and the cost per minute of human attention. The fact that, you know, audio can capture somebody's attention far longer than video. 93% of people who start a podcast end up listening to the entire episode, whereas a 30-minute video only has a 12% completion rate. And despite those stats, we only hold a fraction of the budgets that are allocated to traditional media methods. And so 
you know, podcast marketing is undeniably effective and you are basically given a lot more promotional publicity than a one minute TV ad. And I would like our industry to start focusing more on the cost per minute of human attention. Uh, for me, I think the, the best source uh, for a lot of you in the audience is going to be talking to your audience and having some kind of a regular, systematic way to get feedback from your audience until your audience starts shrinking. And if your audience starts shrinking, if your downloads start to go down, that then becomes the most dangerous thing you can do, is continue to go to that sort of dwindling pool of people you're making smaller and happier uh, as you continue to, you know, kind of slide down uh, uh, the optimization trap there, I think. But as long as your audience is growing, I think having a, a systematic way to talk to them, to get feedback from them, why did they come? Why did they spend their time with you? What else do they do? Who else are they when they are home? Uh, right, as, as Joyce wrote. Um, and when you understand their other habits and their passions and things like that, then you can, you can kind of slot into their, their day, their habits, their lifestyles. Uh, as far as white space, this industry does very little audience research on content. Like the research that has been done to date has really been on you know, usage metrics and a lot to do with the monetization side, and the advertising. I, I've put out some of that myself in, in various roles. Uh, but there's almost no content research in, in podcasting. What are the kind of you know, blue ocean holes for, for great shows there? Um, you know, here in, in uh, Dallas, there are 108 radio stations. And I guarantee most of them are doing some kind of audience research at some level, right? And that almost doesn't happen in podcasting. So that's, I think that's a big hole. Um, to add on to that, the, the idea of audiences, and I think for, for most of, of us here in the room, when you are trying to grow your audience, you start with who's found you first, who's really loyal, and you, you try to expand from there, which is, I think, a good first step strategy. Once you, you kind of maximize that, what are your recommendations for thinking outside of the pool that you're currently fishing in for finding new audience? Maybe an audience that surprises you isn't who you think would be your listener. You know, going that route to find um, a way to grow audiences. I think it's the, even the first bit is still challenging. Like knowing who your audience is. The truth about podcasting is that a listener, according to the IB, is a unique IP address and a user agent. And given the nature of podcasting and how frequently we move through cell towers and roaming periods, like if you look at that listener pool over more than a 31-day period, it becomes really useless. And then to shows that you want to have an engagement with with your audience, they want to listen. Like maybe they don't always want to like converse with you. Um, so I think that's key. Like. Start there. Start there. Build yeah. the relationship and make it clear with your audience what it is that you want out of them and like how to make it better. How they found you. I mean, my biggest beef with um, our industry is that we all lean back and go, "Well, I've made a podcast." Like, if you wrote a book and you put it like and you snuck into a library in the middle of the night and hid it on a shelf, <laughs> and then the next day we're like, "Oh, no one's reading it." <laughs> Like, you promote a book, you do all these things, you have to treat it like a paid marketing medium. And then I think once you start testing out some of those things, you find out where they're coming from and hopefully it becomes more useful to you. Well, like, even measuring loyal listeners, like, how does one do that? I mean, you could technically take the IP addresses in your RSS logs and match it with a time duration, but... Only hosting platforms have access to that. I know back in the day, Spotify used to um, report on the per episode 
um, loyal listener count and they for some reason removed it. And it's just really hard to see how many of your listeners are staying on for future episodes. And what we do at Quill is rather than you know not having access to the data, we check on other platforms like social media, newsletters, surveys, podcast reviews, um, and then also try to create opportunities for the listeners to engage with each other as well as the host of the show. Um, there's this podcast called um, Teenage Therapy. They do a really great job of um, speaking to their audiences, posting the video recordings on their social, and then asking their audience members to chime in with new episode topics and then engage with each other, which creates like a really um, great sense of loyalty. I think in terms of finding new audiences, you hit the nail on the head, which is trying new marketing tactics. I say marketing is 50% of the scope. Um, you know, running ads on the listening platforms and checking off all the organic tactics. And, you know, if you have budget, then custom host red ads or paid feed drops on other podcasts. Um, but you cannot create a show in this day and age and expect it to be successful without the promotional aspect and element. And I also think uh, podcasters need to have more curiosity about who their audience really is, right? I mean, you sort of like, why are they there? There's so many other things they could be doing. There are better shows they could be watching. There are better things they could be listening to. I'm sorry. Uh, but they, but, but they, they have come to you, right? And that kind of fundamental curiosity about who they are, who they are at home, what else do they do? What are their other interests? What other things do they watch or listen to? It creates that kind of rounded picture. And that's what audience development is really all about. It's understanding, uh, it's understanding the humans, right? It's why like when you shop at a department store, they sell Godiva chocolates by the jewelry counter because, you know, stupid. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that, and they know that, right? Because uh, they understand the other things about me that brought me to that store uh, and the other aspects of my life. And I, I think not being curious about who the audience is, what else they're consuming, what their other habits are, uh, is the path to, you know, navel gazing as a podcaster, and that's unhealthy. So, so switching topics a little bit, just zooming out, and this is for everyone here, there's been obviously you know, some, some interesting acquisitions in the analytics space, and this is near and dear to my heart, because um, we pride ourselves on being independent. I think there's something really important um, at, at having an agnostic view of, of data. Um, you know, so to that end, in, in knowing that some of these acquisitions have been, been made by listening platforms, you know, what are your thoughts on cross-platform data? What that means for your the data you get, the insights, um, you know, how do you feel about those, those moves? I could make an argument either way. I think that, I think that if podcasting was bigger at the moment, maybe some of those moves wouldn't have been allowed to be made by like governing bodies. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's how I'm like, well done Bezos. Like he did all of this like, and we were asleep at the wheel, then the FCC woke up and now he's on a rocket to the moon. So like, who knows what like, you know, Daniel X gonna do in the next little while. Um, race to space, I guess. Uh, I don't worry about it. I mean, I don't think that they bought those businesses um, or that any consolidation happens without a view to growing the pie for all of us, but I do think really carefully around what portion of the pie is baked the best, and I'm really going to drive home this metaphor, and like what will advertisers want to eat most, right? Like they've built a very tasty product through acquisitions and consolidations, so has everyone, and now you need to figure out where you fit in that world. 
You, um, you, someone else will not dance around as much as I, I did. I was Tom, say lock the doors. So nice. Tom's going to bulldoze his way and it's going to be great. I was going to yeah. say, Sharon, you're very nice. I think that there's a huge problem in that advertisers, publishers, and podcasters should not be ex uh, accepting data from a company that not only owns podcasts, sells ads on them, and then also owns the platform which reports on metrics. It's this concept that publishers shouldn't be grading their own homework, and it's very disingenuous. I think that if Spotify had acquired either Chartable or Podsites, they would have put pressure on the other company, they would have created more competition, and they would have changed the landscape for the better. But by purchasing both companies at the same time, they created a hole in the market, and uh, it was a bully move. But that's not a bad, like, I'm not to pick a fight, like, that's not a bad thing. There's a lot of new companies that can fire up now. There's a lot of competition. But do you think they will? Do you think Spotify is now going to take those two products and innovate? I am, like, very skeptical. No, no, I mean, like, like me. Like, I now have an opportunity to innovate and oh. build something else that people yeah, need. So keep Shameless going, everybody. Us, us too, yeah. yeah. So like, actually, co-host... Um, <laughs> shout out to everyone employed by our companies. Don't worry, it's going to be great. <laughs> Co-host, actually, um, one of the features that we offer is campaign attribution data. So the move, like, to be transparent was perfectly timed for us because we've seen a lot of people moving over from Chartable to co-host because we're offering a lot of the same tracking information and we're a hosting provider, which means that a lot of the challenges and glitches of using Chartable, um, because we own the data, we're, we're not, it's a better user experience, in our opinion. I obviously have to say that. I get paid to say that. Um, but I would still say that I, I think I would have appreciated if Spotify had really thought about the user experience before going in and purchasing both companies at the same time. I totally hear your point. It opens the market for other platforms like Omni and other hosting platforms to like now get creative. I agree with a lot of what you just said, honestly. I mean, I think, of course it's concerning. It, of course it's concerning, right? Uh, and, I, you know, we all remember, or many of us may remember the, you know, the Bill Simmons comments about looking at Spotify's data and figuring out what shows to do next. Well, that's, that's a nice advantage, I guess. But look, that's capitalism, I guess. I mean, the, the one thing I always come back to, uh, when I started my career, it was in it, doing research in radio. And to this day, radio metrics suck, right? They are worse today than podcasting's ever were. Like, our, our data is so good. Uh, and I do think there is, a, there is a place for a third party to audit things, I think that that's going to have to that's going to have to happen. Even with chartable and pod sites, I think. I mean, I don't I don't assume anybody's lying about stuff, right? Uh, but I do think that there is a role for a uh, and you know a third party advocate, some kind of certification uh, platform that that sits over all of that. And I think at some point we're going to see that. So not a hot topic at all. So that thank you for for that. I have no other thoughts. No opinions whatsoever. Um, so Tom, this is impossible because you've been studying listener behavior for a long time, but with you know, in a short span, can you tell us how listener behavior is evolving? Like you know, briefly, kind of what it started as and like what we're we're seeing it move to. Well, I think there's a you know there's a cap on the number of humans that want to listen to audio. I, I don't know what that cap is. We might be near it, by the way, uh, but on the number of humans that want to listen to spoken word audio, we're, we're actually probably close to that cap. Um, and what's happened in the last five years are things like YouTube and TikTok. And, you know, TikTok's eating the world, right? Like, taking all of our time. Uh, and so as creators, you know, if people want to look at something, 
you kind of have to give them something to look at. So that, that's the thing I think that has changed a lot in the past four or five years. You can be stubborn about it, you can reject it, but you can't control the audience. The audience wants to be where the audience wants to be. So uh, as much as I love spoken word and my entire career has been about spoken word audio, like that's the biggest thing, I think. And you know, the ability to be discovered, what your strategy is there, uh, that's, you know, that's where the audience has shifted the most. But in that shifting, it has grown. It is that that has grown the audience. Because podcasting, and look, I've been trotting out these graphs for 17 years now, uh, it's never grown that fast, right? It, it kind of goes up dribs and drabs every single year. Um, I'm not sure dribs and drabs is what I wanted to say there, but I... Very British. That's what like, came out. Top of the morning to you, yeah? pip pip. That's what worked. Uh, so it's never had like the kind of rocket ship growth, right, that, that video has, but, uh, but I think we all have to embrace that now because that's where, the, that's where the humans are. That's where the humans are seated. And the humans are not necessarily watching something. I've talked to plenty of people in qualitative research that will put on music on YouTube or put on, you know, a, a TEDx talk on YouTube, and they're not looking at it, right? They're on another tab. Uh, but it's a it's a huge discovery platform, and it's it's both it's led to both the sort of uh, spreading out of our audience. It's really really messy now. I don't know what's going to happen if you look for your podcast on YouTube and what the next thing recommended to you is going to be. Will it also be a podcast or will it be a Breaking Bad clip? I don't know. Uh, it's messy, right? But the audience is messy, and that's that's the thing. You, we have to adapt to it. Do you think that um, format of audio, you know? different types of, of consumption. It's, it's, you know, in your ears, it's on a smart speaker, it's, you know, connected cars. Do you think that will change listening behavior significantly? Or do you think it's still pretty much we're, we're kind of at, like you were saying, almost, I don't want to say capacity, but we're, we're, we've captured a lot of the market and now it's just kind of shifting within that pool. I think the biggest uh, opportunity for growth right now for this medium is the car uh, when, uh, you know, voice assistants become much more standard. Because uh, right now, if you want to call up a specific piece of content in the car, you will likely die or kill somebody, <laughs> right? There's a death involved. Uh, so having a way to just sort of frictionless call up exactly the content you want. And I, I researched this maybe five or six years ago. Uh, did this whole study called the commuter code where we actually put video cameras in cars and watched what people did. And, and the more technology and the more choices that people had in cars, the less they switched around. They had more options, but they could maximize and get the best of what they wanted. And I have to think that if it is easy in your car to say, hey, play this podcast, uh, that that's, that's the next bridge to cross, right? The time spent listening to podcasts in cars lags way behind the time spent at home and, and in other places. So I think that's sort of the next break uh, to, to be removed from things, and that'll be huge. Spotify just killed the car thing, so that's going to make you both happy. I, I, have, I have a car thing. I don't have a car, but I have a car thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this next question is for you, Sharon. Um, you know, podcasters will be confronted with a ton of data in their hosting platform, through an analytics platform, tons of numbers, tons of metrics. You know, high level, how does a podcaster approach all of that data, hopefully insights as well, with a, a lens towards being action-oriented? Like, what do I do? I'm looking at this, leads me to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's the leads you two bit that I feel is most lacking and where people stop. Hey, my downloads went up. 
hey, my downloads went down. You need to, like, there is data at your fingertips. Like, why did you title something in a certain way and see a spike? Why did you put a show description in a certain way and see a drop? Have you experimented with different lengths of content? Like, you are in a very crowded space and a loyal listener may not be a loyal listener forever because, like, I, I love news podcasts. I admit it. Um, I scan through them every day in a separate playlist that I've curated and we, whoever has the best title and the small amount of description that I can see, that's who I play because you're largely all reporting on the same stuff. You're, you're butting up against your direct competitors as well as trying to pull attention from TV and all the other things that Tom was talking about. And so you've got the data, you've got, you know, hopefully some retention rates if you're pushing people to your own patch of ground and maybe you can see some consumption second by second drop-offs on like a website or something like that. Um, you should be able to at least start on that journey, but mostly what I hear is I don't know how to do that. And I mean, again, it's A-B testing. It's having that conversation with yeah. like listeners. What did you like? What did you not like? Here's a short survey once a year. Tell me where, I'm, where you're enjoying the show. I think that once a year thing, it's important too. It's all the t it's like all the time. I think sometimes people get a sense that they like they, t they do their data analysis and then it locks. You have to constantly it be changes. revisiting. Oh, exactly. yeah. New shows are launching all the time. Episode feed drops are like pulling attention from everyone else. Like if you're not constantly looking at your analytics, if you've got a network of shows, look at your overlap of listeners. Like look at what is a unique listener to one show and why they're not converting to other shows in the network and use that to start doing cross-promotions. Like there is data out there. I think that we... I was going to say like. I think the, it's a little bit too easy to say measurement in podcasting and data is hard. There is data there to start, and then as you get comfortable with that, then you go deeper. Then you can get out demographics and other bits and pieces depending on your platforms. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's also just about like where do you find it and where do you look for it. I mean, something that I've noticed in our industry that we're not really placing a big emphasis on is like where are people going from the podcast to your website or landing page if you have one? So like who's visiting your website, what time of day, and, and what are they responding to on your podcast that's encouraging them to actually visit your website, particularly if there's some sort of an email subscription or a sign up of some sort. Um, it's, it's what brands are really focusing on behind the scenes, but generally when I am having conversations with content creators, Half of them don't even have a website or a landing page, let alone knowing that they can actually track to see the activity between the two and make create insights. We we as an industry make it as impossible as possible for you guys. <laughs> like if you look at your Apple Podcast Connect account, that's purposely different to downloads because they're only tracking consumption. Yeah. They allow you to auto download a show, but they won't give you that number. They see followers, they see press to play mimicking streaming. Spotify is the same. And so I get inundated with questions from people saying, why are your numbers different to there? And you can't move past that as a conversation unless we're all on the same page. And that's another number nobody really pays attention to, the average consumption rate. Like, they're so bogged down by downloads and even maybe unique listeners where if your listeners drop off in the first five minutes, who cares what your download rate is? They're not listening to your content. And also remember, though, that audience is different yeah. platform to platform. Spotify does skew male and younger, like, as a listening platform. So if you are seeing episodes perform in a certain way through the Spotify consumption that you don't see in Apple, that doesn't mean 
it's very hard to draw an insight out of that because it's more about the behaviour of the people on there. But maybe you can turn that into something like, well, I want to access that audience that does skew more towards Spotify, and so I need to start tailoring my content to them. Maybe you can start playing traffic cop with your show feeds. Like, you don't have to have one feed everywhere. You can distribute a specific feed to Spotify that talks to an audience in a certain way and a different feed to a different audience somewhere else. This is the world that we're moving to, and if you embrace it, there's good data there. I think also we have to be, uh, you know, we focus a lot on quantitative data in podcasting, you know, all, the, all the, the downloads, the metrics, the attribution, all of that stuff. Uh, I don't think there's enough focus on qualitative data in podcasting, to be honest. And, and this is, you know, I'll, I, here's a, a horror story. Uh, a number of years ago, the way that radio is measured in this country changed. It used to be kind of a diary. People would ask you, write down the stations that you listen to, right? And that changed to a, a passive electronic measurement system. And a bunch of quant people, and I, I guess I'm one, uh, looked at that and said, hey, when people tune out from radio stations, it's when the DJ starts talking. So we'll just take them all off the air. But if you think about it, like that's what makes radio special and that's what you remember about it. That was a bad decision. Right? Radio is worse for that. Uh, and I think it's really easy to look at quantitative data and say, oh, we have a big drop off here and make assumptions about why people stopped at 43 minutes or why people skipped this. Uh, and you're probably wrong. Uh, and the only way, the only path to that insight is to actually talk to the humans. And that has to be a part of what you do. Yeah, rounding out that story for sure. Um, Fatima, you were talking about data gaps, I would call them, right? And also thinking about attracting podcast listeners outside of just podcasts, right? You can look at social, you can look at other digital mediums. Um, comparing podcast data analytics to other mediums, where do you think you know, we could do better? Where do you find that there's, there's an obvious kind of uh, a misalignment or a gap between what we're doing in podcasting versus what we can, we can learn from other mediums that are, are, are ahead of us? I mean, Sharon sort of answered this earlier. We make it really hard in this industry to, like the data is really fragmented, like going into all of the different listening apps and not being able to consolidate it quickly um, and get a, like a wholesome snapshot of like who your audience is and more importantly, how are they responding to your content? You know, I mentioned earlier, I think that we don't really place enough of an emphasis on engagement. The first question is how, how do you place an emphasis on engagement? It's like s such an intangible concept, but you know, I think average consumption, retention, loyal listeners is the right start. Um, website traffic is another one, looking at other channels like social media, newsletters, um, landing pages, and, and seeing your, your loyalty and your loyal following um, and your captive audiences. Um, and what the profile of those audiences look like on those channels and platforms, I think, is also a start. Um, not just focusing on downloads and unique listeners. Yes, they are one KPI. They are not the only KPI and arguably not the most important one. Um, also really thinking about how are you drawing in your new audiences? Are you even doing anything to draw in audiences? Um, I would say one of my hot tips if you are a podcast marketer or marketing your show, um, social ads do not always translate to podcast downloads. In fact, rarely do. Um, if you have limited budgets, don't do it. You know, you're much better off taking those, uh, those dollars and putting it towards ads on the listening platforms and acquiring people who are already listening to podcasts. Um, and, you know, of course, if you have larger budgets, and I can see a few agency owners in here, 
you you know, there's nothing more lucrative than custom host red ads on other similar shows and paid feed drops. And if you don't have budget and you're starting in net zero, that's okay too. Podcasting is a marathon, not a sprint, and you can really take the time to apply for podcast awards. Quill actually has one category. Um, making sure that you're transcribing all of your episodes for accessibility purposes and converting it into blog content. Um, making sure that you have a podcast landing page, which should be really the first thing that everybody is doing to consolidate their episodes, their transcripts, and providing a better listener experience. Um, once you check off all of those, um, you'll see over time your SEO will really start to develop and build. And I would say that that is something that other industries are doing, really focusing on repurposing content for other channels and content generation. Uh, our industry is very siloed. We literally just think about putting out audio and then crossing our hands and being like, we're done, not thinking about all the other ways that you can be drawing in new audiences. Also, marketing in podcast. There are some great resources um, available. Like, I forget who it is that started her latest like, podcast marketing, and she goes through like, tons of tips and everything. Um, that's not helpful to you, but it's a thread to pull on, so sorry. Um, if I remember, I'll... Uh, find a way to tell everyone again. Um, but uh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I, I feel like I know who you're talking about. There's like a few. Yeah. Um, I, but there are, yeah, there, is, there are lots of good things out there. But I'm, I think my point was going to be, it's not always going to convert to a download. And just because it doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not successful. Like yeah, TikTok point. video yep. is great for building an awareness of a show. Your next challenge is figuring out how to convert that to a podcast listener. Like, don't stop doing it because awareness, like you never know. But but the tactics are good in podcasting. You can do them outside of podcasting, but it's challenging to draw them back. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think that that consistency uh, in, in the approach um, I think is incredibly important. Um, and Fatima, you kind of answered in, in a couple ways, you know, examples of how how podcasters can grow shows. But wondering, Sharon, if you have any, uh, you know insights on things that you know that have worked, Tom, you as well, just things that you've seen um, that have been performant. Well, I mean, one thing to know is how and when and where people listen to your show and, and yeah. why they're doing that, right? That's super important information. You know, there are certain shows that I listen to that are just, they're slotted in my day and they're there for, they're there for a reason. I think, you know, one of the most brilliant uh, examples of this I can think of is the, is the podcast Chompers. And if you've ever, Chompers is a mm -hmm. podcast that teaches your kids to brush their teeth, right? It gives them like two minutes of content <laughs> and tells them, okay, now switch to the bottom teeth. Now, so, like, but it's also, it's, it, and like that is part of your day, right? Understanding uh, what people make a habit, I think is, is really, really key because habit is, is what you're trying to build. Uh, and people are already doing things. They already have things slotted into that time. So thinking about, well, where and when could people listen to this podcast? When would this make the most sense and fit into their lives? And how do I market that, right? And, it, and, and that's different. And then the other thing, and this is sort of like low-hanging fruit, honestly, and most podcasters don't know this. What other podcasts do these people actually listen to? And we tend to think very siloed. We tend to think, oh, I have a a volleyball podcast. How about other volleyball podcasts? Well, no, there's room in my life for one volleyball podcast, right? I'm going to listen to something else. One is never enough, Tom. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I hate, I hate volleyball. Um, but what else are they, are, are, is that sort of cohort of people listening to? And it's probably not necessarily another show in that niche. You just don't, you just don't know it yet. Um, and that's incredibly low-hanging fruit in terms of marketing. 
Yeah, it sounds like there's, I, I'm hearing both sides, which I think are equally important. There's table stakes, like have a website, a landing page, make sure you're thinking about your podcast brand outside of just the podcast that you put out into the universe, the book and the bookshelf kind of in the library uh, analogy, and then be thoughtful and nuanced about who your listener is. It's not broad strokes. You know, I'm volleyball, so other volleyball listeners, you know, be a little bit more thoughtful using data to kind of help you navigate who you should be talking to. I guess none of us really mentioned this, but this is kind of an obvious one, like leveling up your content editorially and understanding you know, why people listen to your show. I mean, you sort of said that. Um, why people are listening to your show. I mean, podcast listening is transactional. We're asking for listeners most valuable resources, which is time and attention, and in return, they want something, whether it's you know, entertainment, education, companionship, and understanding those key drivers of appeal. Um, and, and motivations, and then at, like really creating shows that people want to listen to that add value. We always say at Quill, we have this like saying, you either have to be the first, the best, or different, um, and create a show that can actually be marketable before you go ahead and market your show. Seems like great advice for, for all endeavors, right? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, be, be thoughtful, um, you know, differentiate, use data, use data, use data, test, and optimize um, endlessly. And don't freak out. Like, start huge, top of the funnel, look what you get, refine, and get yep. deeper and deeper in. 100%. Um, I think we've got a couple minutes left, um, if you guys are open to taking some questions, and if the audience has questions. I see, yeah, a couple. I'll start there. Oh, I think there's a roving mic coming out. Are paid analytics always better than the free analytics you get? And which ones do you think are like maybe better or a bang for your buck for like maybe an indie podcast? And by paid analytics, you mean like a, char a chartable or like someone that you are like paying to get? Like hopefully you're paying your hosting provider and they're giving you analytics. Yeah, and if not, though, yeah, big, yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, so like with Simplecast, I get... With Simplecast, I get some automatic stuff. But then for $70 a month, you can get this next level of stuff, you know, do you, do you think some of those are, are, are worth getting? Um, are all the analytics kind of equal? I think it comes back to, I mean, I, I don't like the concept of like paying for tiers of like, you should just have the data. Like it just, it's useful. It comes back to my first point of like, it's useful for whatever you're trying to get out of it. If you're not getting what you need out of that first tier, upgrade and see what you can get. Um, and go up and down, I guess, is my advice. I think it's also important to note that different hosting providers provide different level of analytics as well. So, like, if you're on Anchor or another equivalent platform... She scans the room nervously. <laughs> yeah. I did scan the There's room. There's no one here left after you and Tom were like, Spotify this, Spotify that. They're gone. Um, yeah, I, Spotify is one that I, like, don't mind calling out, but some of the other ones are, like, industry friends, so I'll try to keep this PG, but if you're on Anchor, for example, or another equivalent platform, you're obviously not going to get the level of data that's as granular as a co-host or an Omni or um, even a megaphone, which, there you go, also belongs to Spotify, so um, that's definitely a plus. But unfortunately, you do have to pay a lot more for those platforms than you would hosting, you know, at 
for free on Anchor or for $5. So I think generally the rule of thumb is that if you're willing to invest capital, um, do it for your analytics because your analytics is what's going to help you understand where the gaps are, where your listeners are coming in from, and where you should really prioritize your efforts. Um, I really like what Chartable did. Um, before they got acquired, which is provide you with campaign attribution data. So if you are spending a lot of time marketing your show, you really need to be able to see where are your downloads and listeners coming in from, what are your top performing and lowest performing channels, and what is your cost per click. Um, obviously, there are now other platforms on the market that can do that as well now that they've been acquired and people can continue to use Chartable, but all of that data for us was incredibly helpful and useful for understanding the ROI of our shows. I think it's also useful to have a tolerance for ambiguity uh, and, and to use multiple sources if you can, you know, uh, uh, because uh, they're all estimates. Estimates aren't guesses. They're, they're right within a tolerance, right? Uh, but having multiple sources to look at, I think, uh, helps you kind of right-size what your audience really is. Uh, looks like someone back there. That applause was for you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> when we uh, talk about talking to the audience to get a better picture, and definitely the obsession with downloads is that that's the easiest metric we, we get. And because of the limitations of an RSS feed and, and the information that we get, we don't always get a picture of who that is outside an IP address. So, And social media is sometimes helpful, but sometimes it's just anecdotal, right? People who are talking to you may be your most extreme followers. So are you talking using survey data, polling? What does is, what is talking to look like to get rid of just anecdotes from the people who already love you? Yeah, I mean, uh, survey data is a part of that. I mean, even just having uh, any kind of a feedback form, I think, is part of that. And that's going to be useful for you until your audience shrinks. And that's the, that's the danger point. Uh, but I, you know, there's all kinds of ways you can talk to your audience. You have a relationship with your audience. It's why they are listening to your show. Uh, and I've done tons and tons of in-podcast solicitations for surveys. They, they work great. I'll give you an example. I, uh, I did a uh, sort of run of network survey for Podcast One a number of years ago. And the, the hosts read the solicitation for the survey, right? Uh, and for some of the bigger shows, they did okay. The hosts kind of, you know, hey, take my survey. You know, you know who that guy is. Um, but uh, some of the other, like, really niche shows, one show uh, run by these two wonderful women, they produced an original song to ask people to take the survey. And I think every single listener they ever had took the survey. I swear to God, it outperformed. Uh, so you have that relationship, so you can use that relationship and just find out who they are when they're at home. Like, what's... What do they love about your show? What keeps them coming back week to week? What do they miss when you don't do it? If you also have Twitter um, for your podcast, one of our clients, is some, they do something really fun at the beginning of their podcast episodes. They always ask their audience, please tweet at us and let us know, you know who you are, where in the world you are when you're listening to the show, and what are you doing? And their Twitter feed is full of, I'm in you know, Holland riding my bike to work. I'm in New Mexico walking my dog. And it's just like another form of engagement with your audience. It's really creative. So if you can't go at you know the lengths of creating a custom song, there's little things like that that you can do on a daily 
um, on a day on the daily to actually engage with your audience one on one, like surveys, podcast reviews, um, yeah, and consolidated feedback through your website. The best I ever heard it put was by a guy called Steel Saunders, who has a podcast called Steel Wars about um, Star Wars, and uh, and he gave the advice: build a fan club and a treehouse for your fans. So, like, if that's going to be on Facebook, you engage with them on Facebook, you get an idea of who they are because you hope they're real people. But build a place where the audience feels safe to talk to you in, like, a n natural way as opposed to, like, a, hey, I want to harvest your data kind of way. Um, and that's what you want to do. I think we're out of time. So um, I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, amazing conversation and content. And thank you all for attending. Thanks.